Bibles and turn to Mar- uh, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 5. And um, we are still going through our uh, study of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, bit by bit, uh, page 352 of your pew Bibles. We, if, if you've been using your pew Bible, you have been on the same page since the beginning of the year, okay? So you should have page 852, if you've been using that pew Bible, really well worked out, right? It, your Bible probably just opens right to it now. Um, but uh, Matthew chapter 5, continuing is what, what it is that we saw Jesus discuss last week. So with that, if you will, stand with me out of reverence for God's holy word. Matthew writes on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, citing the words of our Lord and Savior. Verse 31, It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, asks, as always, that you would open our hearts, we receive your word, our mind, we'd understand it, our eyes, we'd see your kingdom. Um, in our ears, we would hear and heed your word. Our mouth, we'd speak the truth of the gospel. In our hands and our feet, that we will go in obedience. Lord, this is a text we need to confront because there is hope here. May we see the hope that is there. May I decrease so that you can increase. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. May be seated. I'm sure at various points in your life, you've been asked or have asked other people to summarize uh, large large organizations, large movements, large groups, or an experience in, into a single word. For example, uh, uh, politicians, historians may be asked to describe America in a single word. Often it's words like freedom or independence, something like that. Here it is March with March Madness going. And, and if you could summarize the NCAA uh, a basketball tournament in one word, what would it be? Well, one of the words we might choose is madness or Cinderella or the greatest time of the year, that's one word, right? You know, is it however you, you might try to, to describe that. Um, 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 your, your, your marriage, your relationships, your experiences, whatever it might be, could you summarize them in a single word? So too, I want you to think, if you could summarize Christianity, get at the root of Christianity into a single word, though these are always oversimplified, of course, but if you could do it in one word, what would that word be? I want to suggest that word should be resurrection. At the core of Christianity, at the very meaning of, of why we gather, all 10,000 reasons that we just sang about, at the very root of what gathers us together, which moves us to open up our Bibles to become more like Jesus, is resurrection. Once Christ defeated death by being raised from the dead, the impossible became possible. This is why Christianity around the world has worked throughout history and across cultures and everything else to recover beauty, to end violence, to stir peace, to heal brokenness, to cure disease, and to end hate. If death is defeatable, and it clearly has been, then so is suffering, sorrow, division, resentment, misery, hate, and war. Nothing is beyond the reach of the gospel of Jesus Christ to heal, to unite, to resolve. This is why Christianity, more than any other faith, including secular religion, is a religion rooted in hope. For we know that for three days the disciples hid themselves in fear. 
But when Christ walked into that room, alive and well, bodily raised from the dead, they no longer had anything left to fear, for death was a defeated foe. We place our hope in a risen Savior, not in systems, not in movements, not in culture, not in economy, but in Christ risen from the dead. And if that is true, when we talk about the big issues of the day, cultural issues and warfare and, and, and suffering and everything else, how much more so is that true when we talk about marriage? The secret to a thriving marriage does not begin with compatibility, politics, or preferences. The secret to a thriving marriage, I believe, is Christ. Every marriage can be saved if both partners trust in the resurrecting power of Christ. So the reason that is important is because there are, there, there are two ways we can read this text. One is a traditional interpretation of this text, which is perfectly fine and legitimate. And I actually want us to look at it right at the beginning. But, I, but that traditional interpretation, though good and helpful, I don't think gets at the heart of it. Because what it does is it misses Jesus' broader message of the kingdom of God and the blessing of God's kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you will, as briefly as we can, let's look at this traditional approach to this text. The traditional approach, and I bet if I looked at old notes from what I've preached on this text before, it's precisely what I did uh, back when I was young and dumb. It's like three weeks ago. And, and, but, but, but the traditional reading of this text is this is a passage that talks about divorce. Therefore, the preacher should stand up, talk about divorce. Go eat fried chicken, and he did his job, right? So if I can, for a few minutes, take that approach, because I do think there's insight on that, but I don't think that's the main point of this passage. The Bible gives us, uh, well, not the Bible, let me say that there are, in general, three views on divorce, even among Christians. One is that divorce is, for whatever reason, uh, uh, prohibited for Christians, Maybe you grew up in this sort of understanding. And what you'll find in that understanding is that the fear of divorce was, was more important, or at least the way it was expressed, or at least it was higher than the honor of marriage in that sort of a worldview. That, that, that what you feared uh, mattered more than what you honored. You feared divorce. And so you would do whatever it took to, to, to prevent that. You would, you would say whatever you had to say, do whatever you had to do in order to prevent that bad thing from happening. But what's missing in that is the honor of marriage, that what should motivate you is the gospel-centered uh, picture that is marriage. Now, this, of course, can, can, can be unhealthy, uh, and this is the error of religion, um, where shame and failure is the primary motive behind what it is that we do. Uh, now, it is honorable to be committed to marriage. Please let, let me be uh, clear on that. Uh, but the Bible does permit divorce for a reason. So that is one view that divorce is prohibited uh, full stop. The other is that divorce is permitted for any reason for Christians. Uh, and, and I'm equally concerned that there are far too many people, particularly within the church, who want to justify divorce too easily. Unfortunately, Christians, and we could even add to that category political conservatives, who have been big advocates of divorce. In fact, may I remind you that one of the most conservative and most popular uh, 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 presidents of the 20th century, um, Ronald Reagan, was the first governor to sign into law no-fault divorce. Governor of California before he was president. 
And we should note here that the Christian rate of divorces has been too high for far too long. I think a lot of the statistics we see are a bit overblown, and I'm not sure are the most accurate thing in the world. For one, um, statistics, the way that is, that is uh, done is, is uh, a bit unfair. But nevertheless, we can all agree it is, it is way too high. How can we defend a marriage on the one hand when a large percentage of our marriages are crumbling on the other? There is a third option here. And that is that divorce is permitted for limited reasons for Christians. The biblical option is to realize that divorce is not the preferred option, but due to man's folly, due to man's foolishness and depravity, it it is an available option when healing and holiness are not. Jesus makes this point when he discusses divorce in the fuller treatment of Matthew 19. He says, uh, divorce exists because, quote, Of your hardness of heart, Moses allows you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. You see Jesus saying that there are uh, circumstances where this is an option, but then he wants to say, but the option itself demonstrates that what is wrong with our marriages is sin, and that is the issue that we must address with. Ultimately, we need to see that divorce is not a solution to a problem, it is a recognition of our need for grace. Divorce cannot and does not heal. It might protect in some instances, but it cannot heal. What we need instead is resurrection, not destruction. So in that context, what are three biblical reasons given for divorce? And, and I can only run through these briefly instead of give, give, give a broad treatment. Obviously, we'll, we'll miss some things, and I'm sure someone will say, yeah, but. I accept, yeah, buts, okay? Uh, you had a cousin uh, twice removed on your mother's side. I get it. But um, let me give you, in, in a general treatment, the three uh, biblical reasons for divorce. One is adultery, Matthew 19, 19. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Adultery is a direct violation of the marriage covenant. It is the perversion of the one flesh relationship so central to marriage. Jesus mentions this here even in verse 32, uh, that the context of sexual immorality. Secondly, is abandonment. This is Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 7. To the married I give this charge, the wife should not separate from her husband. The husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is, not, who is an unbeliever, he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. The whole point here is, is, is what you have in a church is people who, within a marriage, they were non-believers, but one comes to faith in Christ. And many are asking, well, should I just abandon the marriage? Because we are, you know, in that context, unequally yoked. And Paul's point is, no, honor the marriage. Be a light into that marriage. Be salt into that marriage. But if one leaves, then he says that you, you, are, you are free in that sense. You've not done anything wrong. You were abandoned. The third I'll add here, and that is abuse. Although there is, there, I can't give you a verse where, where Jesus says, uh, if you've been abused, divorce. However, uh, uh, scholars have long agreed, um, uh, particularly modern scholars agree, that, but, that, that there is room for that in the biblical text. Most will place it and connect it with the issue of abandonments. Paul also suggests there is reason in addition to spiritual abandonment that would warrant divorce, and that would be the issue with, with adultery. After all, one is the sexual violation of of, of, of marriage. One is a physical or emotional or whatever violation of the marriage covenant. 
But at the end of the day, what we need to see is what God says in Malachi 2.16. For the Lord God of Israel says, he hates divorce. He hates divorce. And that's one of my concerns when we look at a text like this, that we present it as an ethical treatment of a difficult issue. Here's what the Bible says. Now go in peace. And in all, all in doing that, what, what we've missed is we have failed to honor marriage in it all. And I think if you read this passage clearly, I think it's evident. That's, that's what Jesus wants us to get from this. One of the things we do in reading the Sermon on the Mount, and a lot of this is because we have subheadings in our Bible. I bet verses 31 and 32 says what mine says, divorce, right? That's the only thing you're going to get from this, this, these verses is divorce, okay? Preachers should talk about divorce. I'll go home, eat my fried chicken. And, 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 but remember that when, when this was first written by Matthew, quoting Jesus, there were no chapter or verse divisions, nor were there subheadings. Those subheadings were added by the editor of your Bible. I'm not against those subheadings at all. Um, and every translation uses them. But what it does in our mind is we separate these into little mini chapters. So we, we got the chapter on lust. Okay, I'm done with that. All right, change the page, change the chapter. Okay, here's a different chapter on divorce. Uh, I'll treat that. And then next week we'll see issues regarding truthfulness. Okay, I'll, I'll get that. So, so, so we read the Bible topically. That's not the way the Bible is usually written. This chapter is proverbial in the sense that you get a host of subjects. However, what you find is Jesus is making an argument. And, and so, so this discussion on divorce fits within that, that context that, that he's, been, he's been addressing all the way from verse 1. So what we need to see here is, well, I don't think Jesus wants us to simply articulate divorce regulations. Because the entire conversation has been about moving beyond legalism in favor of kingdom ethics. What Jesus wants us to see is the secret to kingdom blessing, not cursing. Go all the way back to the Beatitudes where we saw that. Jesus in these verses clearly wants us to honor marriage. In verse 32, the first part, he says that anyone who divorces beyond biblical grounds sins against their spouse. You see what he's doing there? He says that if you're here looking for reasons to, 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 to divide your marriage, to, to destroy your marriage, then you are dishonoring the person you've called to love, you know, your neighbor. And, and so, so what marriage does is it honors your neighbor, in this case, your spouse. In the rest of verse 32, he says to marry someone divorced outside of those boundaries is guilty of adultery. Again, the issue is, 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 to, is to save the marriage. So, so if, if, if you're going to marry this person and, 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 and they're under unbiblical grounds, the issue there is they need to reconcile. They need to heal. You see that the, the passage is not primarily concerned with give me reasons to divorce from my spouse, but rather is here is why you should save your marriage. Here is why marriage is a priority in the biblical world and in the gospel. So our interpretation should not be about dissolution of marriage, but rather it's preservation just because something is permitted in the Bible does not mean it is promoted in the Bible. There is a difference. I want you, if you will, to go back with me to when you first met your spouse or first got married, right? Wouldn't you love to go back to those days? You were young and dumb and in love. Then the in-laws came and then the kids came, right? Right? And the in-laws came with the kids even more, right? That just made it worse, right? Wouldn't, wouldn't you, part of you would love to sort of go back to where there's a lot of innocence and not a lot of experiences. You, you're just, you're living off of love in, in many ways. I, I still remember the day I decided I was going to marry my, my girl. I, I said, this is the day. She came home. 
She was in a white outfit. Still remembered. She was covered in bee stings, but she smelled like honey. That's when I knew she was a keeper. Oh, come on. I had you go, didn't I? You thought I was... She wasn't really covered in bee stings when I decided to marry her, okay? That was a joke, all right? There you go. Some of you are like, what's his name of bee stings? Anyways, so, uh, well, in this text, I want you to remember, this is not the first time Jesus has addressed the issue of adultery. We saw this last week in verses 27 to 30, where, where, where Jesus does the outside legalistic law, that is, don't do this outside thing, but then Jesus says, I'm here to tell you the issue is the hearts. You think the issue is your actions. That's a problem, yes. The real issue is your heart. Address the heart. You won't have to worry about all these outside things. And so it's no accident then that when he says, address the heart that is with lust so that you can avoid adultery, he then turns the conversation and say, here's what it looks like in your marriage. It will ruin everything. Jesus has done this in this passage, hasn't he? Remember what he said about strife and, 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 and anger? You remember he says the issue isn't uh, hate, the, or the issue isn't anger, it's hate. It's, it, it's, 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 it's uh, contempt, contempt in your heart, malice in your heart. You need to address that. In fact, if you're at the temple making your sacrifice and you realize you, you have an issue with your brother and sister, go reconcile with them. You see then how he has this principle, the heart, and then he has the practice of it here, reconciliation. He does the same thing here. You have the principle that is lust as a heart issue that manifests itself sexually with, with the body. But then there is the practical issue. What is ruined in your marriage is unholiness. So that's why I say this text isn't just about here are three reasons to, 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 to dissolve your marriage. It's about saving your marriage by pursuing Christ. So then you see that the secret to a long-lasting marriage is not by undefined compatibility or subjective preferences. What matters is that the marriage is glued together by the gospel of Jesus. When sin dominates the soul, it will destroy your marriage. This is the main point we've been looking at for several weeks now. Go all the way back to chapter 5, verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You want to know who loves signing certificates of divorce? Pharisees and Sadducees. Religious people love to blame other people for their problems. They love it. And I could give you plenty of examples. If we spent the whole time about divorce, I can give you plenty of examples of the religious elites coming up with reasons to divorce their wife. One of them is they cooked, they, they burnt dinner. Their wife burned dinner, signed certificate of divorce. Silly reasons like that. They followed a no-fault divorce rule. After all, Moses permitted it. And here comes Jesus saying, yeah, but he didn't promote it. The whole point of this passage is how the gospel, kingdom ethics, brings a blessing to our marriage. What we need is resurrection. So then how does the gospel, which produces true righteousness in our hearts, protect and deepen our marriages? Three things to look at from this Sermon on the Mount. The first is mission, verses 13 to 16. You remember what, what Jesus has there. I've already referenced this. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. One preserves, salt, light, illuminates. 
Our faith is not an extension of ourselves, something we wear on Sundays, except when we go out to eat and, and the waitress gets our a meal wrong, right? We don't wear our, our Christianity then. But elsewhere we, we do, right? Our, our faith is not an extension of ourselves. It is our very identity. And this should affect our marriage. The gospel must, must define and structure our marriages. The purpose of marriage is not your personal happiness, but rather that through marriage, you might grow in greater godliness and mutual love with a lifelong partner. You see how the mission of what marriage is, is the key to thriving in that marriage. The minute you think your spouse is for your happiness is the minute your marriage has taken a wrong turn. Because I don't know if you know this or not, your spouse will make you misery, miserable. I can tell you as a husband myself, there are days I love to make my wife miserable. The pranks, the jokes, the, and you know, there, there's times she looks at me and she says, you know, the, the shtick, I'm kind of done with it today. And I'm like, it's only like 9 a.m. in the morning. I just got started. I have a whole day planned to drive you crazy. If your spouse is the secret to your happiness, I'm going to warn you, you're going to hit a wall. And you're going to blame your spouse for your misery. Why? Because you are crediting them with, with your happiness. They'll get, they'll get the blame as much as they'll get the credits. The point of marriage is not happiness. It's to grow in greater godliness. And as you grow in godliness, what you discover is not mere happiness that is fickle by circumstances. It is rooted in gospel joy that is from eternity. Mission. We also need focus, verses 17 to 20. This is where Jesus discusses the purpose of the law, that the center of the law. And what he says is that Jesus is the center of Scripture. Now, if Jesus is the center of God's one book he wrote, he is big enough to be the center of your marriage. If God considers Jesus and only Jesus worthy to be the focal point of his entire revelation, he is worthy to be the focal point of your entire marriage. By the way, your children need that more than anyone. Spiritual intimacy is the real secret to marital bliss. Wealth, children, robust careers will not secure, nor will they fix a marriage. They will all get in the way. If your happiness, your marriage is based off of how much money you make or how much is in the bank, how your career is taken off and how they support you, how this or that and this and that, what you'll find is that will eventually lead to a wall. When you lose the job, when, when the savings uh, dries up, when the economy tanks, when the in-laws drive you crazy, when the children start screaming and you can't get a handle of them, when, when the pressure piles up, the career is too much. If, if, if what makes your marriage thrive are those things, your marriage is in trouble. Spiritual intimacy is how you'll grow together. Third thing we get from this text of how the gospel, that is the kingdom of God, rooted in true righteousness in our hearts, protects and deepens our marriage, and that is holiness. We've already touched on this briefly. Jesus' concern with the inward law is important regarding marriage. Few things ruin a marriage or a romantic relationship quicker than untamed anger and sexual sin. We're running out of time, so let me just give you these real quick. Remember that when it comes to anger, Jesus is less concerned with outward manifestations. The problem doesn't begin when you raise your voice, when you seek revenge, you write a nasty text, or punch a hole in the wall. It begins in the heart. Strife, contempt, envy, 
bitterness, discontentment. These will all ruin your marriage because they're all unrighteousness. Sin always divides. Grace always heals. When you tolerate sin, you have tolerated destruction. How you communicate, how you reconcile, what motivates your actions, your eagerness to honor your spouse could be the difference between a marriage on the rocks and a marriage that is blessed. Likewise, when it comes to intimacy, Jesus is first concerned with the heart. A marriage robbed of physical intimacy is one that has been robbed of spiritual intimacy. That is so important for you to grasp. Because we talk so much about the physical and, and because we're all secret Gnostics, we, we, we forget about the spiritual, right? Uh, that, that's secular society. We care only about the physical and not, not spiritual. The gospel comes and says that when, when you've been robbed of the physical, it's because there is a spiritual issue involved. When those two collide, look out. If you want a blessed marriage, cultivate a heart of righteousness. Make intimacy, both physical and spiritual, a priority and love each other with abandonment. Remember, people do not fall out of love. They fall out of repentance. Couples will not abandon each other until they have abandoned grace. Well, as we said at the beginning, the root of Christianity is resurrection. It's resurrection. And I suspect there are some marriages here who may be struggling. No one else knows about it. Your marriage is struggling. When you talk to each other, it's usually through, 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 through uh, clenched teeth and passive-aggressive tones. Your marriage is struggling. You haven't been together in weeks, maybe months, or maybe even a year. You don't date anymore. You don't speak kind words to one another. You don't encourage each other. Your marriage is really struggling. Will you today not turn to Christ for the healing of your marriage? Or I suspect there are those who are ready to simply give up. Maybe you're in a romantic relationship. Maybe it's a marriage. Whatever it might be. I'll ask you, will you, will you turn to Christ this morning and hope? If Christ has risen from the dead, he will heal and he will give us hope. Or maybe you are single and you're, you're tired of being alone. And you've tried the dating scene. You've tried online and offline. You've, you've tried it all. And you just think, you know, it's just not worth it anymore. I guess I'm destined for loneliness. Will you too not turn to Christ for the deepest longing of your hearts? At the root of Christianity, it's resurrection. So what Jesus is not talking about here is how to destroy something, but how to honor it, how to build it, how to pursue it. There is no marriage too far gone no heart too broken, no life too shattered, no history too dark, no love too lost, no soul beyond the reach of Christ. Do you believe that? And I beg of you, wherever you are, would you come here this morning and come to the empty tomb that we have sang about today and find that what you need is resurrection, what you need is grace. And who you need is Christ. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would be so kind as to move us to live lives of grace and resurrection.